following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Lord, I just thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son to earth to live a life in the flesh completely sinless, to show us what righteousness and holiness looks like in that of a humble servant, and to not be one who held his life close to himself and and kept it from the world, but gave it freely took on the suffering, took on the, the, the punishment and the brutality that, that sin brings. And he took it upon himself to set us free. And when we come to think about the Lord's Supper, we see the Lord coming together with his disciples and sharing a meal, sharing intimacy and sharing relationship with them knowing his suffering is coming, knowing that the one who would betray him is with him at the table. And we see a peace and we see an honor and we see a love through Christ. Um, may, we, may we emulate that. May we, may we look to that as our, as our hope. This is, this is our God. This is the picture of our Savior that he would not long after this, this supper be giving his life and taking, taking brutal suffering. So we come here to remember him, honor him, Lord, and just speak to us about community, speak to us about communion, speak to us about union and unity, speak to us about what it means to not just observe this word, but what does it mean to be a partaker in the bread and in the cup? What does it mean to be a partaker in the life and the body of Jesus Christ? We thank you, word. May you speak this morning to each one's heart, and may you unfold this word intimately for each one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, all right. So I'm going to invite everybody to open up a Bible and go with me to Luke 22. Just to catch everybody up, Pastor last week talked about uh, the widow and giving everything she had. Jesus was at the temple and observing people giving their offerings. And we saw the picture of a widow giving what would today only be worth about a penny. And we see Jesus honoring her as of having the most sufficient offering that day. And when thinking about this throughout the week, what I believe Christ saw in her was a piece of himself, somebody who was willing to give it all, somebody who just gave what they had. It may not seem like enough to everybody else, but she came with everything she had, she gave everything she had, and we see God himself honoring that and and lifting that up and, and to an extent, even giving, like glorifying that because that's his glory. So I think that walks us beautifully into today because we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper. So we're going to go through Luke 22. 
We're going to go Luke 22, 1 through 22. So if you'll follow along with me in, in your Bible, we start, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. That's important. Right now, Jesus is already being sought to be put to death. Just want to throw that out there. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. This is another very interesting chain of events because I heard it when I was looking into educating myself for, for this sermon. Um, I heard it described as like a spy movie. This is like Jesus is setting the stage. He knows he's wanted. They have to prepare the Passover in secrecy. And he's already has everything set up. You're going to go. You're going to meet this, this person here. You're going to follow him into the house. You're going to tell the master of the house, where is the room where the teacher can eat? And they're just going to be cool with it. And the faith that the, the disciples are walking in to just even just follow that, just, they just go. They just go. They prepare the room. And they find it exactly as he said. I think this, is, this echoes the way Pastor was talking about a few weeks ago where it, when he was talking about the cult. Um, it was exactly as he said it would be. Jesus is showing us his sovereignty even here that he knows exactly how everything is going to go down and he, is, he has orchestrated this himself. Everything is uh, not foreign to him just as it's not foreign to him that he has a disciple who is already conferring with the priests um, how to betray him. So we'll continue um, in 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. 
there's an irony in them questioning which of them it would be to betray him because as we see, we will see in the coming events, everyone kind of has their own way of abandoning Jesus. Everyone has their own way of piecing out when times are hard. However, we see a uh, premeditated version of this in Judas. We see somebody who, in contrast with last week, there was sacrificial giving when it came to finances. And we see Jesus, the way he ran his ministry, there was a huge emphasis on giving and trusting God for provision. And then we see in Judas, we see in Judas somebody who is very much just concerned with, he would have been in charge of the finances and he may have even been looking at Jesus like, this man is so unresponsible with money. He just keeps giving it away. Um, so the scary part about Judas is that it could have been very easy, easy for him to justify his actions. It could have been very easy for Judas to, as a law-abiding citizen, go, you know what, this man is a wanted criminal. You know what, there's a reward for his, for his capture. And the reward is being given by the, the religious officials. Man, this, is, this must be what I'm supposed to be doing, right? There's a reward for it. I'll be rewarded for it. I'll, I'll get a nice financial offering for this. And, and the scary part is, it, 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 you know, it's easy to look at Judas like, oh, man, how could he do that? But the scary part is to evaluate that in each one of us and to kind of go, nobody is uh, incapable of selfishness like that. Nobody is incapable of, of finding these noble reasons to do something that suits our needs when it really um, abandons God. And what the, the right thing to do may be something that really, really is hard and is really incurs suffering on us and, and doesn't seem like we have everything we need. It doesn't have all the finances and the glory and the and everything that we think should come with doing the right thing. Recognition, approval by those who we thought we needed approval from our whole lives. So we can, I guess, look at Judas not as somebody of, how could he do that? But I just challenge us to see, like, how could I do that? How could, how could I sometimes fall into being that kind of person because it's preparing for this sermon. Every time Judas gets brought up, I kind of look at myself and I kind of go, man, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person. But then I realize the reason I'm looking at myself like that is because we all, we all have the possibility of the ability to fall. Nobody is uh, save Jesus. Nobody is just completely exempt from falling to that kind of thing. But good thing for us is that Judas is the only one that needed to fulfill this particular piece of process, prophecy. He is the son of perdition. There is, there is nobody here is too far gone. Nobody here is out of the reach of being forgiven by Jesus. Nobody here is done something so bad that you can't come back. That you can't that you can't receive forgiveness i heard I heard something so good I was watching these kind of like uh videos 
of street preachers. And one of them said something that stuck with me, and I'm like, I can't believe, I'm sure people have said this before, but I can't believe I hadn't heard it this way. They're talking to people about, you know, do you think you're a good person? And when it comes up, a lot of people think they're a good person, and the point the street preacher make, made was, well, good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. And that, that has been ringing with me through this week because it, it makes it so clear. The, the point is not being good enough, but the point is, is putting our faith in the one who was good enough and gave himself and has forgiven us and has washed us in, in his blood. Um, that just stuck with me. So I just I wanted to share that with you all. So when we're, we're talking about this Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, we're seeing a scene of a Jewish Passover. And this is interesting. This is really interesting because the disciples would have been familiar with the Passover. They would have celebrated this before. This, is, this would have been something that they were very familiar with. I, I'm grateful that we had a gentleman, um, Alan, join us this morning and just share with us some, uh, some insights of, of his own personal testimony. And just we, just we just are really able to reflect on how all throughout the Passover there's symbolism. And there's, there's pointing to the coming Messiah. And if we look at it just as a tradition or a ceremony or a ritual and just go through the motions, we miss out on all of the real implications. But Jesus is actually meticulously sitting with them and pointing to the truest meaning of each piece of this Passover. So to the disciples, they've, they've celebrated Passover before. They uh, they would have they would have been had an idea of what it's going to look like, and Jesus sits with them and he breaks the bread and he says, "This is my body." And this might have been like an eyebrow raise moment for the disciples. Of wait, what? This is your. What, doesn't the unleavened bread mean the thing about we uh, we know Exodus? as historically where God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and they prepared unleavened bread. They didn't have time to prepare bread with leaven and God commanded them to make things a certain way and do things a certain way for the Passover. And he did this with the intention to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. If they had done it any other way, it wouldn't have been God's way. So, we see Jesus pointing to himself, this is my body, and he breaks it, and he gives it. So, we see, we see Jesus pointing to the Exodus, where Yahweh delivered his people from slavery out of Egypt, particularly during the final plague where Pharaoh was promising to take the life of every firstborn in the land. But Yahweh made a way to spare his people by giving them specific instructions that God would pass over the household that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So they were instructed to have a lamb with them, to live with this lamb. Probably just enough time for them to realize that this is a real living being, maybe get a little attached and then they would have to sacrifice this lamb 
sprinkle its blood on the doorpost, and they would eat the Passover in, in haste. They would do it with their loins girded. They would do it with their staff in their hand. They would, and they would have to eat it as quickly as possible. This was not a relaxed meal. So we see some contrasting things as well when we see Jesus come to the table with his disciples. One of the first things we hear it said is, they reclined at table. And when I was looking into preparing for this message, I saw some visual demonstrations of what that would look like. We, and I saw a sermon where they brought up the Last Supper painting and the person speaking was saying, get this image out of your mind. And he set up a table that was low to the ground. They would actually almost be laying down on the ground, reclining at the table. And this would have been a very different thing than they were used to. But as, as the gentleman this morning brought up, that this wasn't, this wasn't a different Passover. This was actually the true fulfillment of the real Passover. This was, this was the way pa- Passover was meant to be. And this is also, we're seeing a transition where God is making a point to address this system that has partial sacrifices. We see a temple system, a, a system where we have to offer sacrifices to partially cover sins at, at incremental times so that we can, we can be okay for the next year or we can be okay for now. And we see God setting the stage to fulfill this once and for all that this wasn't necessarily something that was just intended to just to keep going in, in cyclical nature, but Jesus would completely fulfill this. And the funny thing we see about this particular Passover meal is that they haven't prepared a shank of lamb or anything like that because, well, we think to the Gospels, John says, behold, this is the Lamb of God. We have the Lamb of God himself sitting with the disciples administering this Passover meal that is becoming, we're seeing a transition. We're seeing a transition from Passover to what they would have known in a Jewish context to the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion in a celebratory context of Christ's coming death, his burial, his resurrection. So he's giving himself and he's pointing to himself through this meal. He is using the bread as a symbol for his body and he's giving the cup and he says something interesting about the cup. He's saying, This is the new covenant. This is another thing that would have been interesting probably to the disciples because where would they know the new covenant from? This isn't something that's just bizarre spiritual jargon to them. There's Jesus is talking about something very specific. So if if you want to go with me to Jeremiah 31, we can see exactly what Jesus means by the new covenant. And this is what he is saying. My blood is poured out for you in this cup. And this cup is the new covenant. And I'm giving my, I'm giving my blood. I'm shedding my blood for you to have this new covenant. So for in Jeremiah 31, 
31 to 35, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Right now, we are in the middle of a sacred transformation. The cosmic Passover is being fulfilled with Jesus presenting himself as the lamb to be slain. Having lived among his people for a time, long enough for them to intimately get to know his innocence. During all of this, we are told by Christ himself that his body is being broken and will be spiritual food for us. His death, burial, and resurrection will bring us life eternal. His condemnation will bring us liberation once and for all. Jesus is making the biggest trade of all time. He's taking everything we've earned for ourselves upon himself. And he's giving us everything we didn't deserve in the form of a new covenant. And this new covenant says, I will be their God. I will write my laws on their hearts. I will be with them. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Pharisees have a problem with, uh, with Jesus going around forgiving people. And we see in this, in this particular scripture, Jesus, Jesus knows God's word. He doesn't just know God's word. Jesus is God's word. He has identified himself to be one with the Father. Another thing that the Pharisees have a problem with. He's made himself likened to God. But we see Christ's heart for his followers. We see Christ's heart for the world because this isn't something, Jesus isn't just exalting himself. He's not just showing up on earth saying, hey, I'm God, look at me. See, y'all can't measure up. And then going away. Jesus came as a servant. He came as the only one who could do that and chose not to do that. He didn't exalt himself like a, like a high king or a military figure or a political figure um, and take this self-righteous approach. He lowered himself to the point of a servant. He went in his ministry showing the culture of heaven where there's sickness, he brought life. He brought health. Where there was death, he raised the dead. Where there was people who couldn't walk, he gave them their, their ability to walk again. And he cast out demons, and he spoke the truth where there was deception. He showed us there is a place where heaven could actually come to earth. And we saw heaven himself walk around. I saw that, Matt. We saw heaven, <laughs> we saw heaven come to earth and walk around in the flesh and live amongst us. And we see his innocence 
his innocence and it's it's really sobering to think of him as the lamb that we would have seen in Passover. That Passover lamb, yeah, it might it might have been a little bit gut wrenching to live with this little cute little lamb for a little while. I don't know how many people have like pets or anything like that. You have like dogs or cats, like you get you get attached to those things. And it would it would be really tough to just go, okay, now time to kill it. Like, that's heavy. And now we have Jesus the person, a real person. We see a human person in the flesh, completely innocent, completely sinless, saying, I'm this lamb. And I know I'm going to be killed. And I know I'm going to be slain. And not only this, but here, take my body. They're not going to take it from, I'm giving it to you. It's my gift to you. Also, here's my blood. There's a new covenant. You know this old covenant that you all have been trying to keep for the past however many thousands of years? Um, it's not going so well. Here's a new covenant where I'm going to forgive your sins. And that law that you, you struggle to keep so much, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write it on your heart. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And you're going to know me and I'm going to know you and I'm going to be with you and this is going to be holy. And I'm going to restore what was lost. We see the heart of the Father here. Don't just take my word for it. We can go to John 17, 20 to 26. And if you'll join me there, we can look at the high priestly prayer where Jesus bows his heart before the Father and we see his heart for his followers. John 17 Starting in 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, have, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made to them, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Mm. So this morning in our Bible study, we asked the question, how does this scripture relate to the Lord's Supper? How does Jesus giving his body, his flesh and his blood, relate to his heart to be unified with believers, with his followers? And not just these followers, but the followers that they will make through his word. That they will go out into the world, go out to the ends of the earth, and deliver his word. His word lives through his followers. And Jesus' high priestly prayer is that they may be one 
as him and the Father are one. So we see a plea to the Father for complete and total joining and oneness. It's interesting how in the Jeremiah passage, God's description and his heart is, even though I was your husband, kind of his, we see this kind of come back a little bit full circle with this idea of holy communion and holy union and the joining of two to no longer to be separate, to no longer be divided, but to be fully one again and fully merged. So what is communion? Well, I like words. If y'all get to know me at all, any little bit of time, you spend any time with me, uh, I like words. I like to pick apart words and look things up and stuff like that. So I started to ask these questions like, well, what is communion? What does it mean? What does the dictionary say communion means? And, you, uh, you know, y'all might find this stuff interesting. So communion, the first definition I found is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. Or two, the service of Christian worship at which bread and wine are consecrated and shared. That first definition, um, uh, you know, the second definition was very, like, accurate to what we're doing here. But the first definition, I think it was very interesting that just as a word, communion means exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. So God is bringing us here as an exchange. We're exchanging thoughts and feelings with God himself. We're exchanging, like we're, we're experiencing a union with the life of God. I think it's easy to come to these things sometimes and go through the motions. You know how you're supposed to feel. Um, we can get very contemplative. We can get very introspective. We can think, oh, um, I'm undeserving. I don't deserve what the Lord has done to me. We can kind of put, like, you know, put that somberness on and it feels very spiritual. But ultimately, I think what we're coming here to do is so much bigger than that. We have been joined to God himself in holy communion. We have been merged with him. We are sharing his life. We're not just observing his life and reading it out of like a history book and kind of going, there was a person who lived 2,000 years ago and that's where he stayed. God is with us right now. Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit and God the Father, the triune God, are communing with us right now. This is a current, current tense thing. This is also a future tense thing because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has promised to be with us into the forever of tomorrow. We are communing with God right now. We are one with God right now. That's not a little thing. And that's something to be celebrated. This is a spirit of celebration, but this is a very serious thing because for any people in the congregation who are married, I've talked to some of y'all, and um, the way y'all talk about marriage, it's a serious thing. You take it very seriously. It's not something that you just casually jump into with somebody. 
It's not something that you take flippantly when you're with somebody. You truly want to honor that person in that relationship, in that communion, in that community, in that union. What does union mean? I know, I heard, I heard you ask. Um, <laughs> union, it's a noun, and it's the action of, or, or fact of joining or being joined. A state of harmony or agreement. A state of harmony or agreement being joined. So, I want to get this picture of Things that were once separate, like if you can picture drops of water, you can have a drop of water on a surface and a drop of water on a surface and they get close enough together and all of a sudden, they're not two drops of water anymore. They become the same puddle of water. Another illustration that we used this morning was fingers on the hand. How is it that these fingers, they're individual fingers, but they're joined together in a greater body. In the same way, there are people here today. There are individual people here today. God made everyone unique, intricately, beautifully designed. But if it just stops there, we're missing the whole picture. We have been invited into a body in which we are sharing in the life of God himself. And through God and his spirit, we are united in the way that these fingers on this hand are united together to be able to move as a unit and get far more accomplished than if this finger was cut off, it wouldn't be able to do anything. Now, that's not to just put the accomplishment on a pedestal. But I want to put it more in a context of purpose. This hand was made on purpose to function as a hand. You can try to finagle things to function the way they weren't originally designed to function, but if you, you know, take a screwdriver, you can use a screwdriver to do a bunch of stuff. But it was made to tighten a screw or loosen a screw. It had a very particular purpose, and when it's used for its purpose, you go, oh, yeah, that's why it was designed that way. <laughs> I think it's very similar with us. When you find yourself in the context of the body, united with your fellow believers and united with Christ in the way that we see Jesus plea for us in his high priestly prayer, we realize, oh yeah, this was what I was made for. I am meant to be in community. I am meant to be in union with, with my people. And God is in union with us and we're in union together with him and we're not alone and anything we could struggle through we're doing it together and anything we could have need for someone is able to where i have a need you have a, a surplus and where i have a surplus you have a need and when we come together we see nobody has lack for anything but we don't always see it this way so God is faithful. God is faithful to be relentless with us. God is faithful to remind us. God is faithful to put himself at the center of history 
and the greatest love story of all time to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved, to go into the ground, to be on that cross, first of all, as if all is lost, as if all has been defeated, to go into the ground and then to rise on the third day. This is a, something we actually have real historical accounts of. So God can make a statement actually in history itself. But we also have a relationship with that story by when we choose to engage with that story, when we choose to receive that word, when we choose to receive that seed and let it take root in this heart, God is living with us. God, is, God has invited us into that union with him to be one with him. And this is not the same life that we lived before. In the same way, in, in, in the context of, of a marriage, you're not single anymore. <laughs> that life is gone. <laughs> you're joined. You're, you're, you're joined with someone and you're sharing everything. But on the context of God, this is, we're talking about God has chosen to share his holiness. God has chosen to share his righteousness. God has chosen to share his innocence with us. That flesh, completely innocent flesh. That blood, completely pure blood. It's not the blood that we think of when we think of Adam and the blood that is tainted by, this is not just the, the sinful nature that we think of when we think of human blood. We, this, is a, this is Christ's blood. This is the only completely pure in the flesh blood that ever, ever existed that he's given to us to wash us clean. And we're invited into this communion. So if anybody doesn't know in this room, if, if, if there's anybody who doesn't know Jesus in that intimate way, there could be people who, who have read the Bible who don't know Jesus in this intimate way. There could be people who have gone to church all their lives. They've, they've, they've stood in the services. You sit and you stand. You go through the motions. And it's not to say that it's not a, a good thing or you can't, you can't experience the elements of the church or family. But if you haven't experienced the intimate union with God himself, the relationship with God himself, that relationship's available to you right now. That relationship will transform you. And the life that you used to live will be no more. You are forgiven by his sacrifice and by his blood. And you are made into a new, you are, you are born into a new creation. The old is gone and behold, everything is made new. You can experience this today. And for those of you who have accepted the Lord, this is what we've come to celebrate through communion. So, this is a serious thing. This is a serious thing. Communion is not something to take lightly in, the same, in, in a greater way than even marriage is not something to take lightly. So oftentimes, with communion, you hear uh, 1 Corinthians 11 gets brought up and cited a lot having to do with the direness of, of communion and making sure we examine ourselves and we examine our hearts. And this is important. 
And I think it's important to understand the context that this was being, this was being ministered to at the time it was being ministered to. So the church in Corinth was probably, the way I, I heard it described is imagine Las Vegas, basically Sin City itself. And we have a church set up there. And Paul is talking to this church and he's talking to this church and reminding them, he's talking to them like a loving father. There's certain things he is encouraging them and, and commending them on, but there's certain things that he cannot commend them on. One of those things is that there's division and there's factions among you. There's strife among you. You're, you're, you're seeing who's greatest in the context of people. Well, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. I was, and Paul is saying, you're missing the point. And you're dividing amongst each other because you're looking at this in, in, in a human way. You're looking at this in a, in a fleshly way. I cannot commend you because you're dividing amongst each other. There's relationship in the Corinthian church that is also, he says, uh, you're proud of this relationship. This it's a it's a sexually immoral relationship um, that is, is that is pretty much incestuous. And he's saying you're proud of this. You think you're so grace filled because you allow this to go on. But I cannot commend you in this. You should handle this in a very different way. We see Paul taking the purity of his church very seriously. Purity is important. And. For us to be able to speak the truth in love is very important and carry out, carry out that purity. Paul is, Paul is showing us that what we're doing with church is not just, not just gathering for whatever. This is sacred. The other thing that Paul is very, very sternly speaking to his body about is that when you're gathering for the Lord's Supper, some of you are getting drunk. Some of you are getting are, are gorging yourselves with food. Um, and there are poor people among you who, who are being shamed. They're being put to shame. They're starving. When I was kind of researching for this for this uh, message, it was actually a really interesting point that was like in in that Corinthian church there would be people of all shapes and sizes, people of all walks of life. You'd have like basically people from pagan culture all over these different kind of cultures, people who just were worshiping in, in, in the temple that's essentially a, a bathhouse or a brothel, and now they're coming to church in somebody's house. And then there's homeless people who are coming because they heard about this Jesus person, and man, that sounds great. Like, I need, I need this Jesus in my life. And what Paul is addressing is that some of these folks are getting to the house like way ahead of time, eating up all the food, getting drunk. And there's these, there's these people who are in poverty and in need and in lack who are, are missing out on the whole thing because people are coming and they're reveling in their debauchery. They're not coming to celebrate Christ. They're coming to celebrate their self-satisfaction and their self-gratification. And they can assemble under the roof with, under the guise of Christ they can say they're assembling for Christ, but if you're taking up all the food and not leaving anything for the poor, 
Are you really gathering for Christ? Examine yourselves. Really see your motive here. Are you gathering for Jesus? Are you doing this because you love the Lord or are you doing this because it's a free meal? And then there are people who are poor who that might be the best meal they have that week. There are people who come to the body and they don't know where else to go. But because I have a, I have a selfish desire, I'm, there might be someone right next to me I don't even realize this is in need and I'm, I'm urged to check myself. Am I really here for the Lord? Are we communing because we're here to celebrate the life of Jesus? Are we communing because it's a social thing? Or do we get together with believers to gossip? Or do we get together with believers to, you know, go out, go out to drink or something like that? Is that really communing in, in Jesus Christ? Or is that just communing with people who believe in Christ, but to do worldly things. It's not the same thing. And I th- Paul is urging us to take, this is a sacred, holy thing, and to take it seriously. Take it seriously. So we're going to celebrate. And I urge you, please celebrate, because what we're celebrating here is, is this. We're not just looking at Jesus and observing him in a history book. We're participating in Jesus. There are people among us who uh, are really struggling, really hurting. You are participating in, in Jesus Christ because he suffered. You might be in a particular place in your life where you're, 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 the metaphor is you're walking to that cross. You're on your way to that cross. You're participating in the life of Christ. There may be people in the middle of suffering right now. It feels like, man, where is God? Where is he? but I know he's real. I've seen him before. You're in that Psalm 22 moment where you feel like your, your arms are stretched out and everyone's turned their back on you. You're participating in the life of Christ. There may be those people who have gone through that struggle, have cried out for help, reached out for help, and it's like you're in the ground. It's like you've already been defeated. I'm on the floor. I'm crying. I've been put in the tomb. Everybody's gone. They think I'm dead. And you're participating in Christ. And then there are people who, it looks like there was no hope. It looks like you were never coming back. It looks like it was already the, you know, sealed, said, and done. That person's a lost cause. And what I'm telling you today is that God has a resurrection plan for that very person in which you are participating in the life of Christ. You are participating in the resurrection of Christ. This is something to take seriously. We, like, you, are, you are taking part in the resurrection of Christ, and that is promised when, when it looks like everything is dead and gone. We have a Lord and a promise and a word that says Sunday is coming. Resurrection is coming. And my, my urge to you today is don't just... Don't just take the the juice and the bread and just kind of go, okay, cool. That's something we do as Christians every once in a while. You're participating in Christ. You you, You have taken his body. You are his body now. You have become one with his body. We call ourselves the body of believers, right? We call ourselves the body of Christ. So you're his body. Each one of you has been broken in some kind of way.
And because of that, we know we need Jesus. And if you don't know you need Jesus, well, if you're, if you, if you're broken and you try to fix yourself, at some point you're going to see you need help and that you need, you need Jesus to be, to be that glue, to be that person to come and, and, and be the answer to that brokenness. So we are participating in the broken body of Jesus. We take that cup, we are acknowledging, I'm under a new covenant. I don't have to, I'm not, I'm not trying to follow all the laws to get it right anymore because I have a new covenant with the Lord that says I have direct relationship with him. He's written his laws on my heart. He's made himself one with me. I will know him for myself and my sins are forgiven. My iniquity is forgiven. My sins are forgiven. And that's, that's the cup that you're drinking today. Remember, remember what that means. And we have a uh, brunch. When we gather together, Paul's word to the Corinthian church was, wait for each other. When you examine yourself, wait for each other. There are people who need it more than you. <laughs> Put others before yourself. When we gather as a body, when we gather together, the mission is not like, ooh, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. Like, <laughs> the mission is, how am I able to honors above myself in this environment? And when we all participate in that, you actually see it's actually really cool because you could be focused on serving somebody, and then all of a sudden you see somebody who's, who's, who's hardest to do the same for you, and it's like, wow, that person really cares about me. Wow, that person really cares about me. And the person you're serving is like, wow, that person really cares about me. And we become acquainted with this love that the world doesn't know. We become acquainted with this love that we can only know because that's the way Christ loved us. But we can't just hold it to our chest and kind of just keep it a secret, right? We, we need to be able to share this with our brethren. And if we know how to share this with our brethren, then we have a far better chance of also sharing that with the world in the way Christ shared it with the world. So take these gatherings seriously. And when you gather with believers, take it seriously. It's, it's, it's a celebration, but it's, it's, there's, there's priority on holiness and purity and that's not also to just make this like, don't hear me, you're wrong. I'm not saying be like the goal to be this pious, joyless, kind of like, kind of just, you know, grumpy person because I fell into that at some point in my life too. I felt like, okay, I need to be, I need to be pure. I need to be doing like the most God honoring things all the time. And then I would find myself around other people and I'd be like nitpicking everything that's not godly about them. And I'm just be like grumpy. We be grumpy the whole time. We don't got to be grumpy. You can be joyful and celebratory and still maintain um, purity and still maintain reverence. And I would I just even say, let your joy minister to those around you. You know, let that joy minister to the grumpiness around you. The joy is inviting. May it be inviting into Christ. So let's celebrate this morning. In a few moments, we're going to do the Passover. So I just, um, 
I just want to I just want to close in prayer with y'all if I can have the worship team come up. Let's worship the Lord. Let's realize our union and let's take it seriously. Let's take our relationship with the person of Jesus Christ very seriously. So, I'm going to get low here. Dear Lord, we thank you for being with us right now. We thank you for communing with us. We thank you for for being our Father in heaven, Papa, Dad. We thank you for sending your Son to be with us in the flesh, to be that that final sacrificial lamb to to end all of all of that sacrificial system to set us free. Lord, we thank you for this gathering here today where we can be one as believers. Lord, help us to be one. Help us to be vulnerable with each other. Help us to confide in each other. Help us to share um, share our struggles with each other, to confess sin to each other, and to be forgiving to each other, to be grace-filled to each other. Lord, help us to put others before ourselves in a way that demonstrates Christ's Christ's attitude to help us help us to prioritize those who have a greater need than ourselves above ourselves and where we have abundance help us to speak and provide into their lack Lord help us to be humble and help us to take our communion and gatherings in your name with reverence, sincerity, and celebration. Lord, we thank you for our time here today. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I can have... Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.